Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. This is part two of entrepreneurship and music analysis with Sung Cho. Initially from Korea, Sung is the thought leader and founder behind the revolutionary chart metric. Listen in as we break down Sung's unique path entering the music industry after holding prominent roles in engineering and product at such companies as Gameville and Oracle. This is an episode you won't want to miss. And now, hosted by Harry G., this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, cause we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Why don't we jump back and talk a little bit about your background? And then we'll sort of bridge the gap leading up to you getting into that accelerator program. Sure. Are you originally from California or did you move there? I moved to California for my MBA, business school degree at UCLA. Before that, I was born uh, in South Korea and I grew up there. Wow. Went to school and studied computer science, joined a mobile gaming startup, stayed about seven years. Then I decided to move to California. So you joined a startup. So your first job after your undergrad and your undergrad was, it must have been engineering, right? Yes, computer science and electrical engineering. Right. How did you get in touch with this startup? And was this in Korea? Mm, that was in Korea. That company was actually founded in school by my friend, someone senior. Really? Yeah. He thought about game company, gaming company. So the timing was really good as well back then. Korean startups now... There are a couple of giant, large game companies in Korea now. And yeah, the, the industry was growing. So after we founded this company, the company kept on growing. And I was hired as a first employee there and stayed as VP engineering, managing the engineering side of development. So you saw the whole company just completely grow. Yeah, that was a that was the best experience. Like I really appreciate that, I, that such an opportunity showed up to me. I didn't expect, I didn't pursue actively, but I thought in the beginning it was just a casual involvement. Oh, that sounds fun. I like playing video games. If I can create one, that'd be even more fun. So that was the beginning. But yes, the company grew, kept on growing. <laughs> so. Your friend from school founded it, right? What was the name of the company? Gameville. It's called Gameville. Gameville? Yes. Okay. And what kind of games did they make? Mobile games. Uh, role-playing games were a major one, but also sports games like baseball or some arcade games as well. So you're saying mobile games. So it, were these like games that you would download on your phone, like like as an app? Exactly. Exactly. This, is, this was even before iPhone or Android. That, that's what I was going to ask, right? Because what year was this in or like around? That was uh, 2000, 2001. Yeah. So this was like maybe if you had like a flip phone, you could just download an app, like a, an app on the flip phone. And Remember that Motorola Razr? Yes. <laughs> Motorola Razr. Yeah. That was a huge success. And you, could, you were able to download uh, some games on that phone. How much were the games to download? <laughs> the price? Uh, that was three to five five dollars per game per download. So given that the size was much smaller, uh, the game size, and it took much less effort to develop 
a game than what it is now. The iPhone games, you know, they, they are almost like PC game. Still, because all the adopters were willing to pay, the games could be sold like sometimes at ten dollars per copy. And so, your friend who started the company was he was he a developer as well? Like, he, was he already making games for companies? Not so much. That's why he needed me and some other engineers. He he also majored in engineering, but it was electrical engineering. So it was me and a couple other employees who really yeah, wrote the codes. What was the first game that you developed? <laughs> that was uh, you know, you remember you know that snake? Yeah. Like you yeah control the snake and eat the uh, eat those uh, little things and longer and longer. A lot of fun and, and it works well in that small. Right. I remember like my my parents had like little like Nokia phones. Oh yeah, Nokia. So, so Snake was the first game that you guys developed? Yeah, Snake was the first game. After that, we wanted to try, like, we welcomed challenges. So wanted to try something much more difficult, which ended up like more Zelda-style RPG game. Right. But you cannot really do much in that small screen. And the file, game file size, these days, you download like you know 100 or 500 megabytes game into your onto your iPhone, but one megabyte that was the maximum. Like some sometimes it much even less. And the games they were very pixelated, right? It was like they were just little pixels, and you're limited by the design and the size. Yes, it was black and white. Yeah, only in the beginning, and then there were display phones with two additional shades. These are still gray colors, but that two additional shades made huge difference. You were able to be three times as creative. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> That's cool. It developed really quickly, though. Really. Like, like in just one, one or two years, Samsung, they released this color, 16 different colors only, but that was a color phone. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so that changes the game completely. It changes the game, yes. Yeah. Which game are you most proud of? Um, I would say a baseball game that I got involved in the beginning. I wasn't sure. It was a Japanese style, you know, like a big headed guy, like your body size is the same as your head size and you swing the bat. Very primitive and pretty, pretty basic style it was in the beginning. But something we committed to was to release a new version every year. So we developed the initial version. Afterwards, every year, we upgraded and released a new version, uh, which was better than before. And they'd have to pay again for the new version? Yes, have to pay again. It's a different app. That is still continuing. Still, company is releasing uh, new versions of that baseball game. It's called Baseball Superstars. Okay. Like tens of millions of downloads. Wow. That's crazy. It's really cool that you were the first employee and it was your friend that started the company. And they're still in existence 20-something-odd years later. 20-something years later, yes. That's great. What are the odds? Yeah. So you really got to see this company grow. So, so as the first employee, so I guess it was you and, and the founder of the company. And then you said there was a small team that came on board to help with game design. Exactly. And then by the time you left, you said seven or eight years later, how big was the team? The company grew from like five people to more than 100, 150, wow. I think. Yes. 
So you were managing a large team at that point. Yes, I was managing. What was it like managing a team while you were like, you know, you, you were still in school, I presume, or you were just out of college? Yes, just out of college, exactly. When I was, when the company was founded, I was still in school, senior year. Soon I graduated and joined the company full time and company kept on growing. I interviewed all the new engineer hires, thousands of resumes, screening, hundreds of interviews and kept on hiring. We kept on hiring. For me, it was, it was really challenging at, in the beginning, really challenging. The biggest challenge for me was I didn't have this proven leadership figure. I had my dad as a leader, dad and mom. And then like uh, I knew some teachers who were great at leadership. What do your parents do? Uh, my dad was in, in the army, actually, Korean Air Force. Okay. He served there. And my mom did a variety of things. Well, one of them, including like insurance uh, agents and or some businesses, small businesses. So I, if I worked for a good manager or bad managers, actually both both help that uh, I know which skills, uh, how, what to pick up. But since I had to just jump into this pool and had to encounter all the issues myself, and I suffered quite a bit, <laughs> made lots of mistakes, treating people and managing people. But over time, I learned. Yeah, the only way to really learn is by doing, right? At least that's what they say. The best way to learn is by is by failing. And you can only fail if you try. And it's only considered really a failure if you don't learn anything from it, right? <laughs> yes. This is like entrepreneurship 101. So you, you're at this company, you saw them grow really fast. Can I ask how big in terms of monetary revenue, how big were they when you decided to leave? Revenue was still not that much. Uh, the company, we got uh, the, some VC funding. So that was fueling the growth as well. Revenue was growing, but uh, when I left, I would say maybe just 5 million in a year. So yeah, something, but not that big. Right. For a hundred employees, it's not, not massive. Right. Right. So, so they must've had to get some sort of VC funding yes. to continue to grow. Were you part of that process of trying to attract investment? Actually, not so much. I, my role was managing the engineering team and game studios. So not so much on fundraising, but yeah, I, I saw uh, what was happening to the company. Right. So you still had a little bit of some secondhand experience getting to see, you know, when, when you are growing a business, how the pieces kind of fit together. Yes. And what made you decide to leave? Yeah. Like my personal growth, I was managing the team and things were going well. Uh, one reason was I wanted to do something on my own. That was a great experience. That was fun. But in the end, I began to think about starting my own company someday. And somehow I wanted to do it uh, in California or in Silicon Valley. <laughs> that was my, my dream. Why? Lots of like great companies and innovations happening in Silicon Valley. That was one thing. And also those companies that are born in Silicon Valley are valuable, very valuable. That's what I saw. I think the situation has changed a bit uh, since then, but I heard lots of these merger and acquisitions happening in Silicon Valley, in LA as well. 
And those are like big, big acquisitions. So very dynamic, very interesting dynamic ecosystems. So did you end up moving for a job or did you just completely move to California blind and said, I'll figure it out when I get there? <laughs> the best way to land in another country, uh, not only the US, I think is to go to school, like master's degree. Right. And have some experience there and learn. Yeah. So that uh, was what I planned and then applied. So I applied for business schools. Uh, so so where, where did you apply? A couple like Michigan, Wharton, or UCLA, and Carnegie Mellon, a couple of different schools. Harvard? Except for Harvard and Stanford. <laughs> I didn't try. <laughs> Wasn't sure. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like a couple of interviews and UCLA was the first school that was sent. And then I visited the school before. I visited LA and San Francisco before and I loved those cities. So when UCLA sent me congratulations, I said, yeah, yay, I accept. That's the school that I'd love to go to. I love I love UCLA. I don't know what it is about it, but every time I've gone to the campus, I just, you fall in love. Okay. So when you were making your application, do you feel like, you know, having the experience that you had straight out of college really helped you stand out? Oh, that's, I don't know. It's, it's hard, but yeah, I, I think so. I think so. The experience that I had at business school as well, some classes that I took, some friends that I made there instructions that I had. One of the key experiences that I had in business school was called applied management research. It is called. It is a program where the school matches students with some local startups or companies and students act as consultants, like management consultants. Right. So we, a team of five people, we formed a team and we were matched with a LA-based company, a tech company, which was creating a software for the creative people there. Like there are a lot of post-production or production companies, video editing companies uh, in Santa Monica around in LA. They were the customers. That experience was fascinating to me because I, I had a, like a very close up experiences with the executives. We sit down with the co-founders once in a week or once in several weeks and hear about their concerns and their agenda. And we try to be there, the extended arm, like help for them. And this was all in school. This is, this was part of your class. Yeah. That's, that's extremely valuable. Cause you know, one, one of the key values that I find with an MBA is the network that you develop, especially if you do go and decide to do your, your, your MBA at a prominent school in a prominent city, like at, at UCLA, right? You're, you're right in the thick of, of industry. But now you were getting put in a position to go outside of school and you were getting to mingle with founders and executives. Are you still in touch with any of these executives today or after you graduated? Yeah, after I graduated, Captain touched a couple. I'm not right now, but I, yeah, like the company is still there, still serving customers. And I, yeah, I feel great that I have been at least able to contribute a little bit. So you did your MBA at UCLA. I guess you were a student full-time. Mm. And then after you graduated, what did you decide to do? I looked for a job, product management 
position was what I was looking for uh, in Silicon Valley. Were these new product roles? Because I was looking for product roles a couple of years ago, and when I was doing research, I found that they were relatively new titles. Hmm. I think the product management in other industries may have existed, but it was like these companies like Google who really promoted that role, I think. Right. Google or Cisco, those companies, they hired people from different disciplines and they trained these people. But one thing in common, these people, they are passionate about software products. They are problem solvers. They are naturally good at or they like to solve problems. Yeah, so more and more product management positions. So where did you land? Where did you end up going? I ended up going joining uh, this company called Oracle. Actually, that before Oracle, it was Sun Microsystems, which sold uh, enterprise hardwares and also the inventor of Java, Java language and Java platform. The father of Java, James Gosling, he was still there. That's the team that I joined, actually. So you got to work with James. Not directly, but I, yeah, the, he actually, like, we, we were on the same floor. He was, his office was, like, 20 steps away from my office. So I walked by, I saw him working on, on his computer and passed by and said hi to him. Yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> That's cool. I'm sure he would have loved to hear about your background, you know, <laughs> even before your MBA, you know, all the experience that you had with, the, with this startup. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because that startup, uh, we used Java language in the previous company, that game, mobile game company. It was, yeah, it was all Java. That was how I got hired to this team as well. I was a Java programmer myself. Yeah, so I had huge respect to the inventor and the team behind Java platform. I wouldn't even dream of trying to create my own programming language. <laughs> Would you? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> programming language, operating system, none of that. It's, it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.